Amen. Good morning, Epiphany. How y'all doing? Come on, that was a little weak. How we doing this morning? Amen. <clears throat> well, it is a delight and honor to be here with you today, gathered. I always find our times together to be edifying and fruitful. Uh, and it really is a good day despite the rain outside. Um, and, and I define a good day uh, by the fact that Jesus is still on the throne. And because Jesus is still on the throne, it does not matter the situation. Circumstances don't sway what's a good day or what's not a good day. When Jesus is on the throne every day uh, is a good day. Well, listen, I, I honestly, man, I say this all the time, but it's true. I'm really, really eager to preach the word. And there's a lot to do in a short amount of time to do it. So you can grab your Bibles and meet me in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 is where we'll be. Uh, if you have any familiarity or, or, or knowledge of the scriptures at all on any level, me saying go to 1 Corinthians 14, uh, I, I think you, you know it's going to be a long day. Uh, it just is. Like, it, it's no way around it. In fact, let me go ahead and put my cards on the table. Uh, today's sermon will be a little bit more academic, will almost feel Bible study-ish, uh, and uh, it's no way around that. In fact, to prove that to you, I'm going to throw out two doctrinal terms uh, if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write them down and consider these two doctrinal terms because they're going to be the foundation for uh, helping us to understand this passage. First one is called sensationist or sensationism. Uh, the second one is called continuationism. So sen sensationists typically believe that the spiritual gifts such as tongues and healing and prophecy and miracles have ceased. So they, they believe, they would say that, they, they would look at the scriptures and say at the end of the, the closing of the canon, canon or the closing of the New Testament, then spiritual gifts cease to operate in the church. Or they would say at the death of the apostles that spiritual gifts such as tongues and prophecy have ceased in the church. Then there's, there's another side of the, the pendulum, which is continuationist, which would believe, I mean, just defining the word continuationist, believe that the gifts of the spirit still continue. So prophecy and healing and um, the gift of interpretation and tongues are all still an operation in the church. And if you have gone through our covenant community class, if you've been around for any amount of time, if you have asked around, uh, we are a church that 100 and 1,000 percent believes that the, that the gifts of the Spirit still exist. We do not believe that they ceased at the death of the apostles. We do not believe that they ceased at the closing of the canon. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation today. In fact, Paul will say in the beginning of this chapter, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says, earnestly desire them. Then he goes on to say, especially that you may prophesy. And so I want to turn that inward desire that I have to see the spiritual gifts operate and function uh, in an orderly fashion in the church. I want to turn that from an inward feeling or an inward desire to an upward petition. So I'm going to just be honest with you. I pray that the, spirit, that the spiritual gifts would be in operation in our local church, but I also pray that the, the gifts of the Spirit would be in operation in all of our local churches. Why? Because the gifts of the Spirit are given to strengthen the body. So I pray that the gifts would be in operation. I don't just, I don't just desire them. I, I pray for them to, to happen. Uh, and so in today's passage, Paul is going to deal with not just spiritual gifts, Paul is going to deal with spiritual gifts operating, hear me, in a worship gathering. So I, I don't want to just talk about spiritual gifts. I want to talk about spiritual gifts 
in the context of a worship gathering. And that's exactly what Paul is going to do in the, the few verses that we'll go through today. Why don't you pick me up at 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 26 with me. A few verses, we'll work through them, and then I'll let you guys get out of here. Uh, verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, circle, or underline or circle that phrase, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. We'll need to define that. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three. Please underline this and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. I, I simply want to preach from a two-word topic. It's actually the inscription above your text. If you have an ESV Bible, uh, it's literally orderly worship is what I want to preach on today. Uh, let's look to the Lord. Father, we do thank you as we dig into your word every single week. You, um, you send, somehow meet us here every week, and we, we are grateful for that. We thank you for that. We don't know how to understand and unpack your word without your Holy Spirit being present. And so we thank you for not only being present, but opening our hearts and removing the spiritual earwax out of our ears so that we can hear what it is that you are saying to the church. Uh, your word is a lamp unto our feet, and it is a light unto our path. Psalm 119, 105, that uh, we, don't, we don't know what direction to go in if your word doesn't tell us. We are literally in a dark place, but uh, your, your word does illuminate our paths. And Lord, I pray that today as we are preaching on what I would consider somewhat a controversial topic. I pray that you would be glorified. Pray that you would be edified. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. I had a friend tell me, uh, it's more of a mentor told me one time, that if you're going to be a punk, at least be a punk and hide behind the text. So that's what I'm going to do this morning as this topic can be. And I, and I realize it because I have friends that are sensationists. I have friends that believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. Very good, dear friends, and they can walk you through why they believe that. Uh, but nevertheless, um, I, we're going to land here today and let the text do all of the work. Well, I grew up in a military household. Some of you I've shared that with. Um, and, and that literally means that I bounced around quite a bit when I was a kid, uh, moved from different places. And anytime you're in a military household and you bounce around from place to place, normally that means you have to pick up and go to another school as well. So me bouncing around means I, I've attended a lot, especially in my early years, I attended a lot of different schools. And one of the things that was like a universal theme through every school and every classroom that I went in was that list of classroom rules. Anybody remember that list that a teacher would post it right on? Some of you were teachers, you post it right on the, on the wall, or you're posted at your door, so the kids come in, they know what the rules are. And those rules typically consisted of some, something like this. Respect personal space of others and follow the direction of the teachers and uh, listen quietly while others are speaking and keep your hands to yourself. And the, the main point of all of those classroom rules, no matter where you grew up, is that the teacher wanted to maintain some type of order in her classroom. The same thing can be true at home. My family has a list of house rules that everybody in the house has to adhere to. In other words, there is no, no, there's no wearing your shoes inside of our house. In fact, Ty is so serious about this. If you walk into my house right next to the door and the couch, there's a little basket with some fresh, clean socks, and that should encourage you when you come in to take your shoes off. 
And some of you are disobedient. Don't take your shoes off. So Taya tell you, can you please take your shoes off and grab those socks? And we've gifted some of those socks to you. Io still hasn't given her socks back. I'm just putting it. I'm putting it all the way out there this morning. But those are house rules, right? That, that's to keep order in our house. We also have a rule that you do not go to bed with dishes in the sink. No matter what, I don't care how tired you are. The pots in the sink, don't, that don't work. Clean those dishes before you go to bed. We got two boys now, 14 and 12, and so they're doing all the busting of the suds today, praise God. But that's the rule in the house. We also have uh, another, rule that, another rule that I had to enforce a couple of nights ago, and that is there is no personal snacks in our house. Like, you, we just don't have that, this is my bag. We just don't do that. Like, everything is shared. Everything is up for grabs. So I had to remind Ty of that the other night. Just saying, I'm putting everybody on blast this morning, this afternoon. And so those house rules typically are our house rules to keep our house in some type of order so that there is not chaos in our house. And here's what Paul is doing in our text. And it's way more weighty than house rules and classroom rules. What Paul is doing in our text is he's putting order inside of the church because he realizes that chaos running supreme in the church is not building up the body. Chaos running supreme inside of the church is not a way to worship Jesus. In fact, the text will tell us, if you read later on in 1 Corinthians, it says everything should be done in decency and in order. And so Paul, what he's going to do in our text is he's going to put um, some type of order in the place of chaos and confusion. Now, I want to do this. Before I dig into the text, there's four myths that I need to take off of the table as it relates to spiritual gifts. And the reason I need to take these four gifts off the table, these four myths off the table, is because most of us in this room, even if you believe in the spiritual gifts, have had bad experiences with them. We've seen them abused. We've been in churches where we're like, what in the world is going on? Well, I want to take off some myths this morning before we dig into our text just to lay a little bit of a foundation. Myth number one, if you're writing them down, you should write these. Myth number one. You can use spiritual gifts such as tongues and prophecy at will. In other words, it is a mistake to believe that you can use the gift of prophecy whenever you want to. You think you can just wake up and say, I'm going to prophesy to that person this morning. You can't do that. And the reason is because if you could, then that makes you the owner of the gift. But the gift is given by the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but there, there is, I told you it's going to be a little bit more academic. There, is, there are gifts of the Spirit that we would call residential gifts. In other words, they reside with you. They don't come and go. Let me give you an example of that. Singing is a residential gift. You should be able, if you have the gift of singing, you should be able to wake up at the butt crack of dawn with coal in your eye and still be able to sing. You might have to be a little raspy, but you still should be able to sing something. The gift of teaching if you have the gift of teaching, you should be able to wake up at any given moment. Of course, you need to prepare, but you should be able to teach on the spot. Why? Because it's not a residential gift. I mean, it is a residential gift. It doesn't come and go. The gift of prophecy is not a residential gift. You don't wake up and say, I'm prophesying today. That's not how it works. You prophesy when the Holy Spirit calls you to prophesy. And so you need to understand the difference between these two. So myth number one is to think that you can prophesy and speak in tongues at will. You can't. You do it when the Holy Spirit is moving. Myth number two, believe in, belief in prophecy means we don't value the scriptures. One of the things I love about 
those that believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, one of the things I love most about them is that they typically have a high view of the authority of Scripture. And so what do I mean by that? They think that prophecy and tongues have stopped because we have a completed book. So there's no need for prophecy. But I, I would push the envelope and argue that although we believe in prophecy, your prophecy is not outside of the Scripture. It must line up with Scripture. Let me put a little Bible there. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37. This is what Paul says. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing are a command of the Lord. And so Paul literally says later on in our passage, if you're a prophet, great. You better line up with what I'm saying because what I'm saying is a command. What was he writing? Scripture. So in other words, prophecy is not here and the word of God is here. If God speaks to a prophet to prophesy, he's not going to speak a word that is outside of what he already said in revelation of his text. So whenever someone prophesies, it always has to be lined up with the word of God. Whenever somebody tells me a prophecy, that's the first thing I'm doing. I promise you, I don't care how deep you are. I don't care if you come with 10,000, thus saith the Lord. I'm sitting there going, where is that at in Scripture? Because it has to line up with the Scriptures. Myth number three. Those with more spectacular gifts are more spiritual. For some reason, we see the person that is prophesying and the person speaking in tongues and interpreting as more spiritual. Do you know that in 1 Corinthians 12, this blew me away, that the other spiritual gifts are administration? Do you know that the gift of hospitality is a gift? See, we don't desire that one. We desire to speak in tongues and prophesy. But the gift of hospitality, that is a gift. And it is a danger to look at someone with the gift of hospitality as less spiritual than the one prophesying. Can I go deeper there? It is also dangerous to look at the one prophesying as though there's someone so deep. Like we went through the book of Jonah a couple years ago. Like if any out of all the prophets, Jonah was the least spiritually mature prophet. Like consider Jonah hated the people he was prophesying to. He was disobedient to the Lord. When he finally does get to Nineveh and prophesy, it's the shortest sermon. You'll, it's eight words, and it's all doom and gloom, no grace. And finally, all of Nineveh, repent, Nineveh repents. Chapter 4 of Jonah, Jonah's sitting on a hill pouting. He's mad at the fact that people repented at the word that he gave. Tell me that is not spiritually immature. If that guy comes up to me and be like, hey, I got a word for the church, I'm like, yo, you don't got a word. You don't, you don't even like the people. But God uses Jonah. The Bible says all of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. So what am I saying? Looking at those with the gift of prophecy as though they're so deep is a danger. Don't do that. God always uses fickle and weak people. Hello, exhibit A. I should not be preaching this morning. Somebody else should be preaching. Somebody way more spiritual should be preaching. But you know what God does? The Bible says he uses the foolish thing to confound the wise. Consider that you're the fool. If you have a gifting, you're the fool that God uses. God typically uses weak people so he can show off his strength. And so myth number four, and then we'll get to the text. Myth number four is that prop, belief that prophecy and tongues are for men only. This is another danger to think that the giftings of prophecy and tongues and interpretation is only for men is anti-biblical. What do I mean by that? If you look back at 1 Corinthians 11, which is where Paul's like 1 Corinthians 11 all the way to 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is just explaining, he's explaining spiritual gifts. 
But when he starts explaining, he talks about men that are praying and prophesying. And then he says in verse number five that the women are praying and prophesying. Not to mention, if you go to Acts 21, the Bible says that there, there, there's one man that has four daughters and all of them are prophets. So the gift of prophecy is not gender specific just to men. The scriptures show us, no, men and women can have the gift of prophecy. And now that we've taken those myths off the table, let us consider a passage before us. Look back at verse 26 with me. We okay? All right. Verse 26. What then, brothers? I told you to underline this. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. Let me lift up those words I told you to underline. When you come together. Before we even get to spiritual gifts, there is an assumption that Paul makes in the text. It's so underneath the text. And, if, you know, if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. Paul's assumption in the text is that those that are believers will come to the corporate worship. They will come together for worship together, not isolated. He, he's not pushing anybody individualistic. Notice the words when you come together. He doesn't say if you come together. He doesn't say it's a possibility that you might come together. He's assuming that those who have trusted in Jesus are getting together for corporate worship. Let me put some Bible there because I, I don't want you guys to accuse me of trying to stack attendance numbers. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says this, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. Acts chapter 2 verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. Here it is. And the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Even Jesus. This is crazy. Even Jesus went to church. Luke chapter 4, verse number 16 says this, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Don't miss these words, as was his custom. That means Jesus always went to the synagogue to gather with other believers. Like, can you imagine that? Imagine if Jesus walked in here right now. First of all, I'm not preaching no more. I'm taking my headset off. I'm going to put the headset on. Can you imagine Jesus with a headset on? It's, we don't got time. I'm going to be laid out right here. Like, like, imagine Jesus walking in. Well, he did when he was walking the earth. He would walk into the synagogue. If Jesus was humble enough to go to the synagogue, who do you think you are? Think you're isolated. Think you don't need the body. Think you don't need to sit under some type of authority or preaching. You are out of order. What the scripture says is even Jesus went. Even Jesus went to the synagogues. Now, Jesus typically went and, and flossed off how dope he was and challenged everybody that was there. But nevertheless, Jesus went. And so the Bible says, when you come together, there's also something else interesting that, that Paul does here. Paul has been talking about spiritual gifts, not only in 1 Corinthians 14, but again, rewind back to 1 Corinthians 11 and read every chapter. He's talking about spiritual gifts. But smack dead in the middle of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul busts out talking about orderly worship. In other words, what Paul is doing is he's showing spiritual gifts operating best in a corporate setting. In fact, look at the words he uses in, in, in the, opening, the three opening words in verse 26. What then, brothers, with a question mark. This is Paul's typical way of concluding a thought. He's summarizing his thought on spiritual gifts. And in summarizing his gifts, is summarizing his thoughts on spiritual gifts, it leads him to the corporate worship. It leads him to the gathering. 
few years ago, a few two summers ago, I was at a Daily Press coffee shop right on Franklin Avenue. And I was working out of the coffee shop, and I was working, and then uh, I, I left out to, to go home. And when I went out, you know, I, I, sometimes I run into people, and I, I don't know who they are. I'm bad with faces, and so I don't know who they are. And they might know me from the church or from social media of the church. And so I'm walking out, and there's a girl there, and we run smack dead in each other. And she's like, oh, Pastor, Pastor Brandon at, at Epiphany Church. And I kid you not, she just started busting out in tongues. No introduction, just... Oh, Pastor Brandon, Epiphany Church, Shandi Obasa, she's doing all this. I'm like, what is going on right now? I got my latte in my hand. I'm lost. I'm confused by this situation. Dudes, that, you know, out there, you know, I'm trying to like, like I could speak, speak the gospel to them. But this girl out there like this, Shandi Obasa, she's doing all this. I'm like, all right, I don't know what's going on. Here's, here's what I know. The young lady was out of order. There's, there was no context for what she was doing. First of all, it was unintelligible. I didn't know what she was saying. Why, what in the, why is she speaking tongues to me? And so what I noticed in this text, and I'm not saying that, that spiritual gifts only have to operate in church. Don't hear me say that. I am saying it's more prevalent in the New Testament. I am saying 1 Corinthians, Paul leads his thought on spiritual gifts. It leads him back to the corporate setting. And really, it really needs to happen in the corporate setting so we can check what's spirit and what's flesh. That's, what, that's why it needs to happen in the corporate setting. Let's get back to the text here. Look at what Paul says. He says in verse 26, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, that's really a prophecy, a tongue or an interpretation. Then he goes on to say, let all things be done for the building up. Paul's list of five uh, uh, spiritual gifts here is important for us because what we see with, the, with, the, with the, the list of five is Paul is making another assumption. He's not only assuming that the believers will gather together. Look at this. He's assuming that when you gather together, you come ready to contribute. See, what we do with millennials, what we, all, what we like to do is we come to church and be like, what does the church have for me? Does the church have a prison program? Does the church have a single mom's program? Does the church have da 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 And we list out all this stuff, but yet we sit in the seats and we do not contribute. There's two things that need to happen when you come to church. There needs to be a moment where you are receiving, and there is also a moment where you are giving. Because Paul's assumption in the text is, listen, when you come to church, somebody bring a lesson. Who can sing? Who got the gift of singing? Bring a hymn. Who got the gift of interpretation? Bring interpretation. Bring tongues. Bring prophecy. Paul is encouraging the church not to be consumeristic. But yet we are so consumeristic. Like, it doesn't make any sense to say I'm coming to church, but I'm not bringing anything. Some of you may not know what your spiritual gifts are, and I, I, man, I push you to do what Paul says. Earnestly desire them. Pray for it. So Paul says in our text, listen, five things I want you to bring. I want you to bring a hymn, somebody bring a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, and an interpretation. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we got to the place where 100% of our attenders said, how can I contribute? 100%, not 30, not 40, not 50, 100% of the people that say, I am committed to Jesus, therefore I am committed to his body, how can I serve? That's what Paul is pushing in our text. Don't just look at the gifts, look at the fact that he's saying, bring it to the church. And that's the other thing. Some of us use our gifting outside of the church more than we do inside of the church. 
you singers, you know, run around and you can sing all over the world. But the, but the scripture is saying, Paul, Paul isn't saying pursue your, your, your career over the church. He's saying bring it to the church. And I'm not, I'm not telling everybody the only thing you should do is the church. All I am saying is don't give the world the better you and give us half of you. I'm just saying, like, some of us give the world our greatest giftings. We give them our most creativity, our best energy, and we come to church tired and half give, but we give the world everything else. But we don't give the church what the church needs. What the church needs is not a tired you. We don't need a you every other week. We don't need a you once a month. We need a full you. And what does Paul say? He says, listen, bring it all to the church. Here's the question. Why? Why do we bring our giftings to the church, but I don't have to answer it. The text is going to answer it. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, interpretation. Here's why. Let all things be done for the building up. Now, you might be asking, building up what? Building up my bank account? Building up my personal resume? What am I building up? Well, Paul, to keep in context, He's been talking about this building up. But when he talks about building up in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about building up. Listen to me, the church. You don't believe me, so let me read it. 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 3, he says it three times. He says, on the other hand, the one who, is prof- who, is prophesied, who prophesies speaks to the people, here it is, for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And the other who speaks in the tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesied builds up the church. Let me say that again. The one who prophesies builds up the church. What else does he say? Verse 4 or verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongue unless he interprets. Here it is again. So that the church might be built up. And so Paul later on in our text is going to say, listen, bring all of these things together. And the reason you bring these giftings together is to build up the church not build up yourself. And so the corporate worship is not the moment for self-edification. The moment, I don't care how gifted you are, this is not the place for you to floss off your giftings. This is the place where the body gets built up. And if you are serious about that, you will use your giftings in an appropriate way. Now, what Paul is going to do now is he's going to, he's going to work through two of the gifts. And we don't have time for all five anyway, but he's not going to deal with teaching and he's not going to deal with singing, even though he's listed it. He's only going to deal with three. He's going to deal with, with prophecy. He's going to deal with interpretation. And he's going to deal with tongues. Let's work through these three quickly so I can let you guys out of here. First, tongues. Read verse 27 with me. If anyone speaks in a tongue, I love this. Let there be only two or three, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Here Paul goes, again, taking us back to that list of classroom rules. And in his list of classroom rules, he says, if any, he starts with tongues. If anybody speaks in tongues, let there only be two or at the most three and each in turn. And then he says a third thing, let somebody interpret. Speaking in tongues is referring to a language between a person and, and God that is unintelligible to the rest of the room. And so it's very important that, and, and please keep in mind, the reason why he does this, the reason, the main reason why he puts order in the church is because he assumes that our worship gatherings is evangelistic. 
Why do I say that? Because earlier in our passage, he said, if the outsider comes in and everybody's speaking in tongues, they're going to think you're out of your mind. I don't care how deep you think you are. If everybody in here starts speaking, out of, speaking in tongues and somebody doesn't know the Lord, they're going to come in and be like, they're crazy. You've hindered the gospel because of your gift. Has hindered the gospel. Paul says, no, two or three at the most. And if you do speak in tongues, each in turn so that there's not chaos. And if there are in order, there has to be interpretation. I was attending a worship service. I won't name the church. And I was attending this worship service. And the, the pastor said, how many of you have ever been to this type of service? The pastor said, everybody's speaking their heavenly language. And everybody starts speaking in tongues. First of all, all the tongues sounds the same. But everybody says, it's like tongue class they go to. And everybody starts speaking in tongues at the same time. And I'm reading 1 Corinthians 14 like, where is that at? Paul put order in the church, and he said, wait, wait, wait. Why is everybody, because don't get it twisted. The Corinthian church was a gifted church. They were gifted. They knew they had people that spoke in tongues and prophesied and interpreted. And so Paul says, let's put it in order. Now, if you're hyper-charismatic, and, and, and that's you in here, and you're, you're feeling like, nah, that ain't, nah, what about Acts 2? Acts 2, everybody spoke in tongues at the same time. I will argue that that text is what we would call descriptive, not prescriptive. In fact, I'll argue that most of Acts is descriptive. It is describing what took place at the day of Pentecost. It is not prescribing what should took, take place today. And so Acts 2, everybody speaks in tongues, but 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is like, let me put order there now. Now, if you're sitting here and you, you, you're, you're one of those that always prescribe a text that is just description, why do we do that with certain texts but don't do that with every other text? For example, we won't do that with Genesis 22, verse 2, where God came down to tell Abraham, take your son, your only son, and go to the land of Moriah and make a sacrifice with your son. None of us would take that text and prescribe that text on anybody else. No, no man in here is taking their son on a plane to go find the land of Moriah and sacrifice him. First of all, it's illegal. So none of us are doing it, except for some of you fathers. Some of y'all look a little shady. You might do it. But none of us would do that. But what we do with this prescription, ver prescription verse description is we take texts that are describing what was going on. Genesis 22 was describing what happened with Abraham. It was not telling you you should do it. Acts 2 is a description of what took place on the day of Pentecost. It is not saying that's orderly worship. 1 Corinthians 14 is saying this is what orderly worship looks like. So Paul says, listen, I don't mind y'all speaking in tongues, but each in turn and only let there be two or three. And then when you are speaking in tongues, there has to be someone to interpret. So please don't be careful of taking texts that are explanations and making them commands. Don't do that, because what you get is bad theology. Good theology is following what the scripture says. It interprets itself. First Corinthians 14, Paul says, listen, everybody speaking in tongues ain't biblical. Each in turn, two or three at the most. Let's get back to the text here. Let's get back to the text. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue... Let there be only two or three at the most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Okay, pastor, what if nobody's there to interpret? Verse 28, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. 
So in other words, let me just get real practical. How that will work out is if somebody jumped up in here and started to speak in tongues like right now, I would simply read 1 Corinthians 14 and say, is there an interpreter? And if somebody jumps up and starts to interpret the language that we, none of us in this room know, praise God, the gifts are in operation. But if there is no interpreter, I would not tell you that you have no spiritual gift. Paul didn't do that. He said, you still got the gift. You're just misusing it. Speak to God. Speak to yourself. Speak alone. In other words, your giftings of of tongues in an orderly worship has to be subject to the gospel going forth, not confusion. Does that make sense? So we got to be careful. Listen, we believe in the spiritual gifts, but we also we're charismatic with a seatbelt. We believe that the charisma and really what that's what Paul is doing. Paul, the other assumption Paul is making is that our worship gatherings would be charismatic. Like notice he he's assuming that charisma is okay. And I'm not talking charismatic in the sense of us running around, everybody bumping heads and running into each other and foaming at the mouth. I'm not talking about all that. What I'm talking about is charismatic in the sense that the gifts of the spirit are in operation in decency. And in order, in an orderly fashion. So he says, listen, if there's two or three of you that, that speak in tongues, amen, there ought to be an interpreter. And that interpreter should be able to tell us intelligibly what was just said. And if not, please ask the person. I, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to just say keep silent here because you need to speak to God and, you're, and, and talk to God by yourself, not in a corporate gathering. That's the text. I'm not making this stuff up. That's the text. Let's keep going because now he moves from prophecy, from uh, tongues to interpretation to prophecy. Please stay with me because we have to do something at the end of this sermon that um, that, that I, I would say is operating within our text. Verse 29, same thing. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Let me just be honest with you. I am very careful when it comes to prophecy simply because I've seen people's lives messed up because of false prophecy. The dude coming in out of town, calling you out and telling you what's in your checkbook and, you know, telling you you're going to get a car and a house. First of all, please name a place in the New Testament where somebody jumped up in the gathering and said, you're going to get a new car. Well, they didn't have cars. You're going to get a new chariot with, with spinner rims. Like nobody did that in the New Testament. In fact, every time they prophesied, it was a corporate prophecy. And if it was individualistic, hear me, if it was individualistic, it normally wasn't good. Remember, Agabus grabs Paul's belt and says the person who owns this belt is going to be tied up and taken away. He doesn't want to go talking about his death in Jerusalem. I have no time to deal with the fact that Paul heard the prophecy and still went to Jerusalem. But anyway, Paul hears this prophecy and understands something. It is individualistic, but it wasn't good. In other words, if I hear somebody call me out and say they got a word that's that's a prophetic word, I'm nervous because I didn't see in the New Testament where that worked out for too many people. But corporately, it builds up the body. And so prophecy, you have to be careful. You have to be careful of that. You're going to get a new car at the end of this season. This is your season. You've got to be careful with that stuff because it was, it's not in line with the scripture. Let me put some Bible here because what we do is here at the church, if you have a prophetic word, praise God. We believe in it. But what we are going to do is we're going to line it up against Scripture. We're going to weigh. Look at what the text says. I don't want to make this up. It says in, in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Let me put more Bible there. First Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. 
since elders are the leaders in this church, what we would say is if somebody just jumped up and started prophesying, that would be out of order. Why? Because it doesn't give us time to test it. Doesn't give us time to weigh it. And so what we would do is I would say, man, tell me the prophecy. And the moment you're telling me the prophecy, in my mind, I'm computing where is that at in Scripture. Because, again, prophecy is always, always, always in line with the Scriptures. Again, charismatic with the seatbelt. So here's what I want to do. Last week at, um, at our gathering, our second gathering, there was a young lady that came to me and um, and said she had, a, she had a word. She had a word of prophecy. And so I said, okay, well, you know, tell me the word. Now, here's the interesting thing. Everything that she told me, it was, it was crazy to me. Everything she told me was in line with what I was preaching on Sunday about golden gods and idols and functional saviors. Not only that, but this young lady, she didn't know what I was preaching. And this young lady wasn't in Bible study and her prophecy lined up with what we've been talking about, at least in our last Bible study, about going deeper. So I was blown away by it. So what did I do? I got into a mode of prayer and read the scriptures. I even consulted some spiritual counsel to make sure I wasn't crazy. And I was overjoyed at the fact that the gifts are in operation. Here's what we do. Those of us who believe in the gifts of the Spirit will say we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but practically, let's be honest, we don't want to see that happen in the church. Like, we'll say, listen, I'm a continuationist theologically, but practically, I'm a sensationist. Don't bring that here. And here's the crazy thing. The young lady that was telling me the prophecy, it was at the end of us singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. That's why we got to praise God for the worship team, because they ushered in a moment to where the atmosphere was just right for someone to be used by the Holy Spirit. But we cannot be a church that sings, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And then he comes in, we're like, but you're not that welcome. Don't prophesy in here. We can't do that. If we're going to be faithful to the scriptures, we got to let the Holy Spirit come in and throw his weight around. So what I want to do is I want to end our time by, by, by telling you guys. So she came to me and she began to tell me her prophecy. I, I lined it up against scripture and I'm very cautious at the expense of protecting you. I'm very cautious with this stuff. And so after she told me, I am convinced that it was the Holy Spirit that used her. Not that she's so deep, not that she's so spiritual, but she was obedient to what the Spirit said. And she came and submitted her gift to the church. She didn't just jump up. She came and said, I don't want to be out of order, but this is what the Spirit is saying. I'll, I'll end by saying this. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the, the, the beginning part uh, of that text says... Um, do not quench the spirit. So sometimes our, our even saying being charismatic with a seatbelt, sometimes saying that, that's really code for I believe in the gifts, but I'm not going to let it work. I'm not going to let it operate in church. So we got to be careful not to quench the spirit. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Invite the worship team up. Father, we thank you so much for how you speak to your church. The primary way you speak to us is through your word. But God, we thank you that you allow people with the gift of prophecy to affirm what you were saying. Father, we heard this word clearly. You were calling our church to go deeper. Not only calling our church to go deeper, but you're calling us to remove those things, kind of what we were talking about last week. You're calling us to remove those things that we put before you. And all of us got those things, Lord. Lord, I think this, this word is corporate for the body, but I think it impacts each individual in here as well. Why am I saying that? Because I, I do know that all of us do need to go deeper. 
And I'm not talking about that knowledge that puffs up. I'm talking about going deeper in you to where the deeper we go, the more we realize how much in need we are of you. Father, I thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. I thank you for the miracles that you do in the text. Father, I also, I'm ultimately grateful for the greatest miracle you've given us, which is Jesus Christ. That you decided that you would save us. You would take dead hearts and make them alive. And you take blinded eyes and remove the scales because of the cross. We thank you, God, for that. We do not thank you just for mere prophecy and for the gift of tongues and administration and singing and teaching. We thank you that we can do those things because you died on our behalf. And we thank you this morning. We want to give you all the praise. No glory belongs to any man, not unto us, not unto us, but unto you give the glory. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Let everybody say amen.